We're back with part two of the Atavist article, The Girl in the Picture Blind Read. If you have no idea what we're talking about, stop and go back to part one, or else you will be very, very lost this episode. And we're not going to waste a whole lot of time chit-chatting because we want to dive straight into part two. Because again, blind reading. Yes. We still do not know how this ends. Yes. We only know what you guys know after listening to part one. So again, if you haven't listened to part one, go back and do that so you understand what we're about to be talking about. Without further ado, we're going to jump right into part two. Lights out, campers. Oh man, the mountains call my number After the conference, Koppelman and Turkanian returned to their respective homes on the east and west coasts, but they'd already decided they needed someone on the ground in Michigan. A private investigator to keep working Andrea's case closer to where she'd gone missing. Turkanian hired Joffrey Floor, a former Michigan state trooper who'd helped solve a 1979 gang rape and murder that happened in Holland. Floor soon managed to get his hands on Andrea's police file, which Turkanian and Koppelman had never seen. Oddly, the earliest documents in it weren't from March 1989, when Andrea disappeared. They were dated four months earlier. That was when police responded to allegations of abuse in the Bowman home. The report didn't go into detail about what happened, noting only that local authorities had determined the allegations weren't true. But if one thing was consistent in Andrea's case, it was carelessness. Mm. Koppelman and Turkanian were sure law enforcement had missed something. They went looking for people who could fill in the blanks. Jennifer Jones became friends with Andrea in middle school band, where they both played in the wind section. They remained close during their freshman year of high school. One Tuesday afternoon, Andrea came home with Jones, but when it was time to leave, she said she didn't want to go. According to Jones, Andrea said that her father was sexually abusing her. Jones's mother let her stay that night, and the next day took her to the principal's office, where Andrea repeated the accusation to school officials. Jones was sent to class and assured that the adults would handle the situation. Andrea wasn't at school the rest of the day, and Jones assumed that she was in protective custody. Later, she learned that Andrea had gone home with her parents. Oh, God. Around the time Andrea confided in Jones and her mother, she also spoke to Arlene Ran, another local mom. Andrea befriended Ran's sons through their church's youth group and had started hanging out at their house. Ran assumed Andrea had a crush on one of the boys. Eventually, Andrea told Ran that her father was abusing her. She also said that Brendan knew and didn't care. Ran was hesitant to get involved. She told Andrea to talk to her youth pastor. Fuck's sake. How many people does it take to fail one child? Jesus. And these are the people. People of faith. People that claim to be people of faith that should be the most enraged by this type of abuse. I mean, (laughs) my family and my parents, they are people of incredible strength and faith. If someone came to them if like one of my friends growing up had came to them and said this that parent would likely never have been seen or heard from again like and my dad has no problem issuing that like Mm -hmm. there was some case that happened recently that was something similar to this that came out and he was like all it would take is for me to know an address and that And that is how it should be. (laughs) And that is that. And I was like, yes, dad. And that is how it should. Like, oh my God. Like, 
Mm. I got goosey bumps. This is such a catastrophic, tragic failing of this beautiful child. Like, oh my God. Y'all, I did not think that this was going to get is, to yeah. this. Uh-uh. Man. All right. Here we go. Then, one evening, as Rand pulled into the Bowman's driveway to drop Andrea off, Dennis appeared and told Rand to stay out of his business. Quote, It just made me so uncomfortable. Mm. And how do you think that child felt coming to you? Right. Mm. But you were uncomfortable. That's yeah. Mm. Ran never reported the incident to authorities. Within a few months, Andrea was gone. Oh my god. Man. Mm. For anybody that also, like, again, you call yourself a person of faith, you have completely missed the entire point of Jesus, who oh. literally did nothing but tell people to get the fuck out of the way when like little children were trying to come to him and adults were like no like he's too busy and it just mm, it's just just, i mean that's one thing i think we will and if you don't have a strong fucking opinion on this type of stuff (laughs) this is not the podcast for you (laughs) (laughs) fuck off god Oh, this is just, it's, yeah. This is mm. a shit stew. This is, I, Genevieve, I'm. Like, the way that this. Out. <laughs> more than out. normal. <laughs> oh my gosh. You're shorting out. Because you hear stuff like this and you, you see Camden. I see Zuzu. I see Gus. I see Marshall. And you think about Turkanian doing something so selfless as she had this beautiful baby and she loved her Mm -hmm. as a child herself and then was under the thumb of an abusive parent who basically forced her hand and manipulated her to do something that even then she did out of an act of love and selflessness because she genuinely wanted the best for her daughter who then got thrown into the set of circumstances and just the man, the failures. Literally our nephew barely, he got like bitch slapped in the park. Yeah. And I was like, just open the yearbook, <laughs> point, just point, just show me, just show me the little fucker. Open the yearbook and point. <laughs> like, I just yeah. cannot imagine. Yeah. A parent, a child coming to you and you being like, I'm uncomfortable. Yeah. Man. Yeah. (sighs) It's just difficult to wrap your mind around because, yeah, it just really is. There were other red flags. The Schaefers, the couple who'd grown up with the Bowmans in Muskegon, knew about Dennis's criminal record and recalled him bragging about sexual conquests as early as high school. They'd always felt uneasy about him, and they kept a watchful eye over their own daughter when he was around. The Schaefers ultimately ended their friendship with the Bowmans after Andrea went missing. When their daughter, Mindy, found the Facebook page for Andrea, she said her parents had never been contacted by the police about the case. In fact, it wasn't until Koppelman and Turkanian connected with them on Facebook that the couple spoke to anyone about their suspicions. Facebook turned up another source one who believed that Dennis Bowman's criminal behavior had persisted between his convictions in 1980 and 1998. At her request, the Atavis is using a pseudonym to protect the source's privacy. Hmm. When Melissa found the Find Andrea page, she sent a message to the administrators describing what had happened to her on a bright September afternoon in 1989, when she was six. As she was walking to a friend's house, she was flagged down by a man in a truck who promised to take her to see some puppies. He told her that her mother said it was okay and pulled Melissa into the cab. 
As he drove, the man stroked her face. Melissa's stomach churned. Is that it? She asked again and again. Pointing to each barn and turn off, they passed, hoping that was where the puppies would be. Oh, my gosh. Eventually, the driver pulled into a rural area near the town of Hamilton. Uh, Guys, this is going to get really rough, so trigger warning for sexual assault coming up. The man parked the truck, grabbed Melissa by the neck, and dragged her into a thicket. He ripped off her blue sweater, printed with the words, young at heart, and wrapped it around her mouth. He tied her hands behind her back with a length of rope and removed the rest of her clothes. Then, as the attacker knelt over Melissa and unzipped his pants, he startled at the sound of barking dogs nearby. The man ran off, leaving Melissa alone. She walked naked and barefoot to the main road. Two cars pulled over and someone called 911. The police visited Melissa's home that night, and a sketch artist created a rendering of the perpetrator in his vehicle, a red pickup truck with a white cab. But a suspect was never found. The case went cold, and the statue of limitations eventually expired. As she got older, what bothered Melissa most was that the man who'd attacked her was still out there and could still be hurting other girls. She kept tabs on local news articles, police statements, and social media posts looking for any stories like hers. But it wasn't until she stumbled upon the Find Andrea Facebook page that Melissa believed she could finally name the man who lured her into the truck, Dennis Bowman. Jeez. I mean, we knew where that was going, but fuck. Turkanian and Koppelman were now convinced that Dennis Bowman was a serial predator who had killed Andrea and covered it up by claiming that she'd run away. By 2016, Turkanian said, I was screaming from the tops of Facebook that he had my daughter buried in his backyard. Okay, I'm sorry, Turkanian, for saying you shouldn't have been dragging him on Facebook. (laughs) I'm now pro the dragging on Facebook. Facebook isn't the diary. Oh, man. Journal that. I don't Yeah. Oh, God. But any evidence remained circumstantial at best. There was no proof Andrea was dead, let alone murdered. And nothing tied Bowman to other unsolved criminal cases, including Melissa's abduction. Between 2013 and 2017, Turkanian and Koppelman met in Michigan four times. While there, they occasionally caught up with Chris Haverdink, the detective who'd taken over Andrea's case. Usually they met him on the patio of Goog's Pub and Grub a local haunt next to the Days Inn where Melissa worked and helped Turkanian and Koppelman get discounted rooms. No. No. Haverdink agreed that Bowman was suspicious, but that wasn't enough to arrest him. Turkanian and Koppelman visited Michigan for the last time in May 2017. It was becoming clear that they'd gotten as far as they could on their own. A break in the case would almost certainly have to come from law enforcement, a witness, or Bowman himself. Before flying home, Turkanian and Koppelman sat in their rental car outside the Bowman's house in Hamilton. After years of examining Google Street Maps and satellite images, Turkanian had zeroed in on a concrete slab at the back of the property. She is a motherfucking CSI, whatever they are on CSI. It's a crime scene investigator. (laughs) (laughs) That's what CSI stands for. (laughs) Please subscribe to our true crime podcast on Uh, To help further our education. (laughs) She was convinced Bowman had buried her daughter underneath it. Fuck. She stared at the house into the last possible minute when Koppelman insisted they'd missed their flights if they didn't leave. She was just sitting there with these binoculars, Copeland said, like she knew that's where Andrea was. Mm. 
Peggy Johnson was never reported missing. She was last seen at a homecoming dance in Harvard, Illinois, in 1994, and most people who knew her assumed she'd run away. An aunt... Ooh, I don't like how I said that. That sounded very fancy. An aunt. An aunt. (laughs) An aunt. (laughs) Worried? No, but now that sounds like... (laughs) Oh, yeah. An aunt worried enough to take out a classified ad in the newspaper. But nobody seemed to suspect that something terrible might have happened to the auburn-haired girl. Johnson disappeared shortly after the death of her mother, the sole parent in her low-income household. The 19-year-old found herself orphaned and homeless with a developmental disability that made it difficult for her to get a job. By chance, she met a nurse named Linda LaRoche, who offered her work as a live-in housekeeper and nanny to her children. The teenager jumped at the opportunity. Over the next five years, LaRoche abused Johnson. I truly was about to, like, praise this bitch. I I know, But something held my tongue back. God. Beating her, starving her, and forcing her to live in a crawl space. Motherfuck. The violence culminated in 1999 when LaRoche allegedly murdered the 23-year-old. When Johnson's body was found dumped in Raymond, Wisconsin, the cause of death was determined to be sepsis resulting from pneumonia. An autopsy also revealed decaying teeth, broken ribs, evidence of sexual assault, and and a cauliflower ear deformity. The cauliflower ear. That and was that's very, like, distinctive. Yes, and they mentioned that at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Well, they mentioned that on the Jane Doe, right? Yes. So, mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. No one could identify her, so she became known by the place where she was found. She was the Rayson County Jane Doe. Yep. Dang. Wow. 20 years after Johnson's death... Wisconsin police received a tip from a concerned citizen about a nurse who'd confessed to killing someone. Fuck, a nurse. Hmm. Hey, there is a, what's the stigma? Um, Yeah. uh, For a reason. Yeah, you're not wrong. Who confessed to killing someone who worked for her in the late 1990s. In early November 2019, Racine County authorities announced both Johnson's identity and LaRoche's arrest. LaRoche is still awaiting trial, as of whenever this article was written. The revelation was bittersweet for Turkanian. She was glad that the girl she once thought might be her daughter had been identified. But Andre was still out there. When would Turkanian get answers? Two weeks later, on a cold Friday morning, Turkanian's phone rang. Melissa's name flashed across the screen. Turkanian answered, and without even saying hello, Melissa announced, they got him. Earlier that morning, Melissa had received a call from a friend who happened to live on the same block as the Bowmans. The place was swarming with police. Patrol cars clogged the street, and flashing lights reflected off the windows of surrounding homes. Something was going on, something big. Turkanian felt dizzy. There was only one thing she could think to do. She hung up and called Koppelman. He was just sitting down at his desk for the day. Koppelman still did forensic sketching and online sleuthing on the side, but he'd returned to full-time work as an accountant after his mother passed away. Koppelman listened as Turkanian described what was happening at the Bowmans. They were sure it was connected to Andrea's disappearance. What else could it be? By that afternoon, the news was out. Bowman had been arrested by the Allegan County Sheriff's Office, but not because of anything to do with Andrea. He'd been arrested in relation to a murder Turkanian and Koppelman had never heard of, one committed nine years before Andrea disappeared, more than 800 miles away from the shores of Lake Michigan. Oh my gosh. Wow. Kathleen Doyle was the daughter of a naval officer and the wife of a pilot. At the time of her murder in 1980, she'd been married just nine months. 
Her husband was deployed on the USS Eisenhower in the Indian Ocean, and Doyle and the couple's tabby cat, Ike, were living alone in a small house on Granby Street in Norfolk, Virginia. Doyle was an aspiring author who'd recently taken up journaling. The 25-year-old wrote about her anxieties and her excitement for the future. Doyle had been dead for almost two days when her body was found. She'd been stripped, gagged, and strangled with electrical cord, then raped and stabbed. Authorities suspected an intruder had done it, a stranger. They collected semen from the scene, but had few leads until serial killer Henry Lee Lucas was arrested in 1983. Lucas claimed that he had a partner, that he and a partner, Otis Toole, were responsible for hundreds of unsolved murders across the country, including Doyle's. Mm. The following year, police charged the pair, but Lucas's confessions were later revealed to be false, and the charges were dropped. In a letter to the editor published by the Virginian Pilot in 2003, John O'Brien, Doyle's father, chastised detectives for their missteps and expressed the steadfast hope that his daughter's killer would be caught. That didn't happen before O'Brien died in 2016. Oh, man. Eventually, science caught up with the case. Genetic genealogy, which compares unidentified DNA with a huge number of samples stored in databases, was becoming a popular way of investigating cold cases. Authorities didn't expect the method to produce exact matches, but rather partial ones. Genetic relatives police could use to triangulate and identify potential suspects. Norfolk investigators partnered with Parabon Nano Labs, a leader in the field, to test DNA collected at the scene of Doyle's murder. Soon, based on genealogical research, they had a list of more than 30 suspects. Investigators needed to collect DNA from each person on the list to conduct a direct comparison. But with the suspects spread across several states and a backlog of other cases on their desks vying for attention, the process could take law enforcement months or even years. Then, in 2019, a group of Norfolk detectives went to a national seminar attended by cold case teams from around the country. It was an opportunity to learn about new technologies, collaborate on strategies, and exchange information. The Norfolk team, which had a list of suspects in the Doyle case in hand, got acquainted with a team from Michigan, whereas it happened, one of the people on the list lived. The Michigan detectives were familiar with Dennis Bowman's name. He had a criminal record, and they knew what Kathy Turkanian had accused him of doing. The police also had his DNA on file, and they were willing to share it for comparison. The results confirmed that semen found at the scene of Doyle's murder came from Bowman. Norfolk law enforcement issued a warrant for his arrest. Two days later, on November 22, 2019, Melissa called Turkanian to report the police raid. Within mm. a few months, Bowman would be extradited to Virginia to stand trial. By then, he'd already confessed. He admitted to entering Doyle's home through a back window. He claimed that he was drunk and that it was an attempted robbery. He said he didn't expect to find Doyle in the house and that he didn't plan to kill her, but she was there and he did. So he just filed that under oopsie, I guess. At the time, Bowman was in Norfolk for his annual two-week service in the Navy Reserve. He was also out of jail on bond. He was awaiting trial for the attempted assault of the 19-year-old Holland woman, the one he fired a gun at before she escaped on her bike. Turkanian learned that she'd inadvertently played a role in solving Doyle's murder. Joffrey Floor, the private detective, told her that at some point the Bowmans had visited the Allegan County Sheriff's Office to report Turkanian for harassment. They claimed she was making defamatory accusations about Dennis online. Investigators offered Dennis a bottle of water and kept it when he left. According to Floor, this was how his DNA came into their possession. 
The sheriff's office declined to comment on the investigation. <laughs> Dumbass. <laughs> As with the resolution of the Racine County Jane Doe investigation, Tucanian wasn't sure how to feel about the news in the Doyle case. Bowman was behind bars, but Tucanian felt like she was still waiting for her turn, for her daughter's turn, at justice. Three months after Bowman's arrest, it came. In the first week of February 2020, with a thick layer of snow blanketing the ground, police returned to the Bowman's property. Melissa again called Turkanian, who phoned Koppelman. There was a forensics team on site this time, with a crime scene tent and dogs in the backyard. Melissa sent photos. Officials appeared to be concentrating on one area in particular, and they had started to dig. Later that day, the police held a press conference. They announced that human skeletal remains had been found and that they likely belonged to Andrea Bowman. The police needed to confirm her identity. Turkanian provided her DNA immediately. Did she not say she had zoned in on the location on the Google Maps, that concrete slab, <gasps> in March, almost 31 fucking years to oh. the day after Andrea disappeared, the results came back. There was a DNA match. Turkanian had been right, and not just about what happened to her daughter. The police had found Andrea's remains beneath the motherfucking concrete slab behind the Bowman's house. Turkanian knew. She knew. Oh my god. Dennis claimed that Andrea's death was an accident. Oh, shut the fuck up, Dennis. Oh my he said that they were arguing, and he slapped her, causing her to fall and break her neck. I would laugh if, like, <laughs> my brain, like you said, hadn't completely shorted out. Oh, did he slap her and cause her to fall off the edge of a 14-story building? Yes. Wow. It was there. It was an accident. <sighs> I'm waiting to see if he even makes it to prison before I make any comments. But oh my God. He reported her missing to cover it up. That was the story he told Brenda in correspondence from prison. Wow. In June 2020, Dennis received two life sentences plus 20 years for killing Kathleen Doyle. He was ordered to serve his time in Michigan, where he would stand trial for Andrea's murder. The first hearing was held in February 2021. Because of the COVID-19 pandemic, the proceedings were live-streamed and Koppelman and Turkanian watched from their computer screens. Brenda took the stand first. She tearfully recounted how she'd made missing person posters because she believed Andrea had run away. Fuck off, Brenda. I hate her God. so much. She said she learned the truth only after Dennis was arrested in the Doyle case. When she was asked whether Andrea had ever accused Dennis of molesting her, Brenda said yes, but that she hadn't believed the allegations were true. Quote, that's a lie, she'd told Andrea. Quote, and you know it. Quote. Brenda, fuck yourself. I just envision these fuckers all down in hell <clears throat> as a little, like, gas station taquitos <laughs> rotating on the little like that's just their eternity <laughs> just like the grease dripping off yes Ooh. Ugh. just <laughs> hate brenda festering with e coli yes <laughs> For all and we're not talking about like the good like the qt taquitos we're talking about like the ones laced with like meth <laughs> I was going along like, like foodborne illnesses. With E. coli and meth. I just took the analogy and ran with it. Man. The audacity. The audacity. <laughs> like, in my mind, oh my this is comparable to what Dennis did. Like, 
Did I not post that reel that got 19 views on Instagram? It got more than that. It got more than that, babe. When you... I don't even remember what I said. Caitlin, look at There is absolutely no. <laughs> There's absolutely no reason Just to not listen to camping as kids. Anytime you blame a victim, you stand with the perpetrator. Yes. Yes. Brenda. Mm-hmm. Fucking Shirley is in the penthouse of hell yeah. now, and you are in the basement. Ugh. And I am definitely not the first one to say that. People way smarter than me have said that oh. before. But that's just common fucking sense. 100%. Like, oh my gosh. It was Brenda who told police where to find Andrea's remains. In a call from prison, Dennis had confessed to burying their daughter in the backyard. Brenda said she didn't believe him at first. They hadn't lived in their house in Hamilton when Andrea died. So how could he have buried her there? To Brenda's horror, Dennis explained that he'd moved their daughter's body to the new property as soon as they signed the papers for it. The cement slab in the yard was the headstone of a grave Brenda never knew was there. In the shadow of the house, she and Dennis shared for nearly 30 years. He didn't lie this time, Brenda told a detective when Andrea's remains were found. He didn't lie. (sighs) As other witnesses took the stand, Dennis sat quietly in a green shirt, bow tie, and face mask. Ew. Ew. Did not deserve a face mask, Dennis. Testimony from experts involved with Andrea's recovery and autopsy revealed that Trigger warning, guys, because this is really rough. An autopsy revealed that she had been dismembered. Dennis had wrapped her body parts in plastic bags and stuffed them into a cardboard barrel before burying them. The remains were too decomposed to establish an official cause of death, but the circumstances were sufficient for the medical examiner to rule what happened a homicide. And I think we can probably infer, this is just Caitlin and I's opinion, based on the horrific nature of the previous crimes that Dennis had committed, that her death was horrendous. And we don't need to have a medical examiner's ruling to Mm. be able to infer that. Chris Haverdink, the detective Turkanian and Koppelman met with at Goog's Pub and Grub, took the stand. Haverdink said that after being arrested in Michigan in 2019 for Kathleen Doyle's murder, Dennis eventually told authorities that he had nothing left to lose and went on to describe a version of events similar to the one he'd given to Brenda. That Andrea's death had been an accident and that he tried to cover his tracks. He dismembered his daughter because she wouldn't fit in the cardboard barrel otherwise. To confirm the story, he pointed authorities to a machete stashed underneath his bed. What the fuck? (laughs) I don't, I genuinely, because we're doing this blind read, I don't know what he looks like. I know, I'm like itching to look at his fugly mug. Should we look it up right now? Okay, well let's look it up right now. The first time we see Dennis. What the fuck's his last name again? Dennis Bow. Bowman. I don't know why I wanted to. Okay. Images. <laughs> uh, he looks like a. I'm looking up it up on my phone. Garden gnome in his mugshot. Aww. Let me show a picture of her. Next to him. Wow. This young woman, this child, she was beautiful. There's something about her that is so just compelling. 
She was beautiful, and my phone just died. On his fucking ugly face. Oh, man. The details were hard for Turkanian to hear, but she felt comforted knowing that Koppelman, other online detectives, and people like Melissa were just a phone call or a text away. They didn't believe Dennis's story. Like Turkanian, they were sure Dennis had intended to kill Andrea. He'd engaged in a clear pattern of violence against young women. In fact, just a month prior to the hearing, another crime had come to light. Man sought an assault. Reads a front page headline in the Holland Centennial. Published October 18, 1979. The article details a violent attack on a 27-year-old woman who early on Sunday morning was bound, gagged, and sexually assaulted by an intruder in her home. Mm. The perpetrator took cash before fleeing the scene and was described as a white man between 25 and 30 years old with sandy hair and wire-rimmed glasses. He was estimated at 5 foot 6 and 150 pounds. According to the young woman, her assailant was wearing a leather jacket and dark pants. The newspaper published a police sketch of the suspect, his ink-blotted pupils staring blankly from the front page. More than 40 years after the assault, Dennis Bowman confessed to the crime. There was little risk in doing so. He was already behind bars for murder, and the statute of limitations in this case had long since expired. God. Man. That's just... There's something so unsatisfying about that. I... I mean, on one hand, I'm like... You're glad that he is behind bars... But well, I'm I'm glad that he confessed. Yeah. To crimes that like weren't even on the radar anymore yeah. or anything. But he was like, "Nah, why not? I guess I'll give you the right. information. Why I'm not? already here." Yeah. And that he just repeated the lie for so many years, yeah. uh, that he was a loving husband and father that tragically lost his troubled teen. That man mm. <laughs> but for Turkanian's sake that closure mm-hmm, i'm mm-hmm. i'm very glad yeah all her facebook posts are like <laughs> yes justified when they read the article about the 1979 crime Turkanian and koppelman couldn't help but notice the striking resemblance between bowman and the police sketch but it was the last line of the article that really caught their attention. According to the lead detective in the case, there had been a recent uptick in reports of prowlers in the neighborhood where the crime had occurred. Police suspected the attacker might have committed other crimes. Could there be other cold cases connected to Bowman? For years, Melissa had insisted hers was. She was frustrated that Bowman would confess to the 1979 assault, but not to what she believed he'd done to her. Now at least, the police seemed to be listening to her. In February 2021, Michigan's News 8 reported that police had confirmed Bowman was their prime suspect in Melissa's abduction. Rope recovered from the scene and kept on file since 1989 when the crime occurred had come back negative for Bowman's DNA, but authorities said they were hopeful that Technological advancements would allow it to be retested in the future. And Melissa is the young woman, right, that when she was a child got lured into the Mm, van. At six years old. Yes. It horrifies me. And I actually cried after, like, recently I had to have the conversation with my almost five-year-old precious, precious son who loves little animals and is so tender-hearted and so trusting mm-hmm. that there is never ever a reason for you to go anywhere with a grown-up that is not one of your very short list of 
trusted adults, that a grown-up never needs your help with anything unless it is, again, your very short list of trusted adults. You never leave your areas that are your safe spaces with anyone. You never, you know, like I, it, I genuinely cried after having that conversation with him later because I could see, you know, his little child face, like the wheels turning. Mm-hmm. And, and being, he's a smart kid. He is very smart. And and homie has a set of lungs on him and he yes, knows how he, to say no. Yes, he does. That I was like, you do not ever have to worry about being polite. Mm-mm. to a stranger i was like you scream no you run in the opposite direction i was like i don't care who they are you come and find one of your trusted adults if anyone even looks at you in a way that makes you feel uncomfortable and what's like, so scary here is melissa literally was forced in the car yes like, she wasn't like mm, yes okay. like just it, yeah <sighs> there and i just want a giant hamster ball it shatters exactly it shatters your heart that you even have to have that conversation and but that's just part of this broken shitty world that Mm -hmm. we live in that can be like so beautiful at times and other times so utterly fucked fucked depraved and hopeless and thank fucking god that melissa survived because dogs are angels and it was the dogs barking that deterred that one guy like man (laughs) but yeah here we find ourselves it's okay for your kids to be rude as fuck to strangers Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) be like what the fuck you looking at exactly camden will be saying that the fuck you looking at as he brings out his taser his kid's size taser i think that zuzu and camden already have that look down pat you know when they look at people sideways when they look at each other when they look at each other when they look at us (laughs) except for camden looks lovingly at me and then he fucking punches me in the eye he when his daddy came the door he looked at him like he wanted to devour him like he had like a crazy look at his <laughs> I'm telling you guys, he gets his craziness from his father. <laughs> it's all his dad. Oh man. We just love our babies deeply. And, and I will absolutely <laughs> fuck. <laughs> I'm scared a little right now. Kayla's got a crazy look at her eyes. Fuck anybody up who touches any of the kids i love in my life there is an incredible tiktok account that i follow i can't remember his name but it's the southern guy that just posts like amazing rants and he was like y'all there is the difference between northern women and a southern woman if you ask a northern woman if she would kill for her child she will give you a whole essay about the situation surrounding it and what you you know assessing the whatever (laughs) but if you ask a southern woman if she will kill for her child he'll be like honey i'll be killing for my child your child a neighbor's child a child's mother who i never met we gonna kill somebody for that child and then we're gonna text our husband and ask what he want for dinner on the way home (laughs) yep do you know how many times like at the park or at the pool or at a store or like when I used to work at a public library that the question I would always ask a child that looked like they were like young Mm -hmm. like younger than teenager age I would say like hey where's your adult like or who's the adult that you're with and most of the time they'd be like oh they're over there Mm -hmm. and then it would be an adult like a fucking football field length away with their head in their phone People, get your head out of your ass, get your head off of your phone, and fucking pay attention to your child. Like, it does not take an hour to orchestrate. It doesn't take a full minute to orchestrate something. No. It is awful. And we feel safe in places that we feel familiar. Like, we're all guilty of that. But... 
I'm a paranoid bitch. I, yeah, I was going to say, I lean into my anxiety hardcore if I step outside of my front door and I have no shame with it. I, yeah. Yeah, man. I think that that's completely a valid state of mind to Mm -hmm. exist in. Mm -hmm. I don't need any help. Because we got little people to get through this world unscathed by pieces of shit like this. Turkanian and Koppelman have identified other unsolved crimes they believe Bowman, who is now 72, should be investigated for. In 1977, Deborah Polinski, a 20-year-old Holland woman, was killed in what one newspaper called, ew, this is disgusting, a sex slaying. Newspapers don't use that phrase. I guess it was 1977 and it was just a fucking free-for-all, but ew. After Polinski failed to show up for work, a colleague found her stripped, sexually assaulted, and stabbed to death in her home with her German shepherd standing guard over the body. We do not deserve dogs. We do not deserve dogs. Mm. <clears throat> in 1970, Shelley Speet Mills, a 19-year-old newlywed, was stabbed to death in her apartment in Grand Rapids, 30 miles northeast of Holland. Mills' mother, who'd driven to the city to take her daughter to lunch, found her body sake. Around the time of Melissa's abduction, there were a series of similar incidents. A 13-year-old girl was nearly pulled off a Holland street by a stranger. A 9-year-old girl on a bike was stopped by a man who opened his car door and asked repeatedly if she wanted to get ice cream. God, take that ice cream cone and shove it up your ass. That's what Zuzu will say. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Even to boys her own age. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, yeah, I want the fucking ice cream, but not with you. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, You can Venmo me and kindly leave the premises. Mm -hmm. And several weeks after Melissa was taken, two siblings, aged nine and seven, were walking near Van Realty. Van Y'all got some weird Royalty. names. Yeah, that is weird. Mm, elementary school. <laughs> yeah. When they encountered a man, they later estimated to be in his 30s. The suspect who was driving a truck and wearing blue jeans and a blue winter jacket offered the children money, then chased them by foot when they refused to get in his vehicle. The siblings later described the truck as shiny and red. Melissa had described her abductor's vehicle similarly. Red truck, white cab. A photo of a truck Bowman once drove, provided to Turkanian and Koppelman by Bowman's sister-in-law, matches that description. Bowman's lawyer didn't reply to requests for comment. His client is expected to stand trial again in January 2022, whether in person or online, Koppelman and Turkanian will be watching the proceedings closely. The friends speak often on the phone and social media. Their vocal evangelist, <laughs> their vocal evangelists of armchair detective work. Mm, I like that phrase. There you go. Vocal evangelists of armchair detective work. And That's that great. is Genevieve's upcoming tramp stamp. <laughs> Um, do I want a tramp stamp or do I want it on my forehead? I guess I'll have to grow out my bangs for that. Yeah. But if I get a tramp stamp, then I can wear crop tops all Uh, the time. And I do love a good crop top. There you go. Because I work hard for those abs. Yes, you do. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. Quote, the internet is an investigative tool and used consistently in a certain way. It will get you somewhere, Turkanian said. After Peggy Johnson was identified as the Racine County Jane Doe, police announced that she would be reburied next to her mother under her real name. Turkanian wants the same thing for her daughter. 
She's planning to go to court to obtain Andrea's remains so that she can bury her as Alexis Badger. It's a long shot, but then the chances that Dennis Bowman would ever be arrested were slim. And that happened. No one expected that Turkanian and Koppelman's persistence would help resolve numerous cold cases, but it did. Turkanian doesn't believe in closure. It's too pat a concept to apply to tragedy, to need a way to describe what it means to find answers decades after a young woman vanishes or a body is found without a name. But nothing is impossible, and it's never too late. If Turkanian believes in anything, it's that. Wow. And I believe in the deepest pits of hell that is awaiting people like Dennis. The taquito level of hell. The gas station taquito level of hell. That can be our And it's like some worst. janky ass gas station <laughs> in like the outskirts of like you gotta go off like a back road of a back mm. road of a back road and you're like I really gotta I gotta pee on this road trip and there we have a pass and that's the one you find and it's got some there grubby no ass people. There is no cell service. There mm-hmm. is no Uber. Nothing. Mm-mm. Got Shit caked on the toilet seat, on the floor, on the ceiling, on the no toilet paper. The water doesn't run. Wow. That is just like, I didn't expect for this to just like branch off the way it did. Yeah. You made a really great inference at the beginning that this was where it was going to end up. But you're absolutely right. The spreading just spider web of destruction that and the age range of victims is also very bizarre i mean it was like young children all the way to like teenagers teenager old, and, like but then 19, and then the woman that was it was like 27. a 25 year old yeah so man you have, regardless of what you people personally believe, I I bu- do firmly believe that people make choices mm-hmm. and that you alone are responsible for your choices. And I also do believe that you can make a choice to allow something evil inside of you and then you continue to make choices without consideration of consequence or another human being and he continued getting in his truck driving finding young victims he continued breaking into houses Mm -hmm. and he did you know he did steal he did rob as though as he said there was that very clear escalation pattern and it would not surprise me to hear that he had more victims I mean, he was, I think it's five. I I honestly don't remember, but there's a certain number of victims where that person crosses over into what's considered a serial killer. And mm. he was certainly a serial violent offender, oh, if yeah. not towing the line of murderer. And not only am I disgusted by the existence of that individual i am equally blown away by the persistence and the dedication of turkanian and koppelman koppelman and melissa as these types of cases are always so fascinating to just kind of break down because you like see the utter depravity that humanity is capable capable of excuse Mm -hmm. me and then you see the amazing strength and the resilience and the goodness that it's also capable of and those two are just in a blatant war Mm -hmm. with one another in these types of cases and then you have that gray area of our system of law and democratic process where you have to have 
hard evidence. You have to have the systems in place to Mm -hmm. keep, you know, as we've been sitting here ranting about vigilante justice, which we know at the end of the day is a very slippery slope and dangerous and like is not sustainable in the real world. But we love the satisfaction of a of swift justice. But people like this that are willing to put the time in to do the work mm-hmm. and get justice within the system that we have in place that is this person will never see the light of day again like there's something beautiful and honorable about that amidst the disgustingness of what is done and like i ugh and if we could get past (laughs) letting people get away with things by turning a blind eye to it or letting yourself get uncomfortable by a situation Mm, yeah like the adults were in this in andrea's situation of not helping her you are green lighting these people to continue yeah their shit yeah and mm-hmm. it's yeah and Ugh. if you want to dumb it down super simply she had adults in her life Turkania's daughter who were just at the end of the day they were uncomfortable with talking about sex like it sounds so dumb but that's what but it that, boils that down what to the stepmother that she went to the that andrea that andrea went to the mother of one of her friends who was a member of that church to the point where kids were coming to her house that were involved in that youth group they were uncomfortable with hearing about sex outside of the very narrow-minded conditioning that they were allowed to think about and that was detrimental to that precious girl who was reaching out to the only people in her life that she had to reach out to and we can look at it as a lesson for do the opposite of everything that they did in that situation but Turkania who was completely removed from the world that Andrina ended up growing up in having a fucking shitty mom having nothing really going for her still she did was amazing. incredible to her baby girl as a teenager herself and did everything she could Look for her at this boss is that a picture of turkania yeah let's see her she, she oh. doesn't fuck with anything no like i, I just they, i want to cry at that picture they so badly. really look like one another which is beautiful could you imagine being turkania mm. sitting at a convention for missing people, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And that bitch-ass Brenda sitting over there and has the audacity. Wow. Be like, hey, y'all, we have a problem. To still, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would have taken a folding chair and batted that bitch to the floor. Why do I, I imagine when this was happening, that Koppelman, this whole time, I don't know if you do this, Caitlin, but like whenever I start reading a book, <laughs> the first sentence that that person gets described, I immediately oh. get an image in my mind uh-huh. of what they look like, and I cannot break away from it, uh-huh. and that's just what it is. I imagine that Koppelman looked like Ron Swanson Shut from Parks up. and Rec. <laughs> <laughs> like the incredibly oh. awkward, seemingly emotionally unavailable, but with a heart of gold person doing that. yes and that he was just sitting there in his khakis and his belt okay. up to under his armpits being like what the fuck now we gotta look <clears throat> but also getting the work done 
I uh, really enjoyed reading through this article. It was fantastic. Again, we will fully uh, cite it in the show notes. Mm -hmm. It was The Girl in the Picture, written by Niall Capello for Atavist Magazine. And you can actually listen to it being read on Audible. As we were going through the article, there were a couple of little icons you could click to hear it being read. We think our version's probably better yeah, with our commentary throughout. <laughs> Audibles. But I really enjoy doing these particular types of episodes where we go into a case knowing absolutely nothing and get to just experience it in real time kind of like we do when we listen to true crime podcasts mm -hmm. that we like so we hope you guys enjoyed it as well as always we don't yeah. know oh wait no we do know what we're doing next week uh yes we okay this one is i mean they're all bleak but we're gonna be bringing you another serial killer case it may be a two-parter. It depends um, how long I'm able to immerse myself in his autobiography. But we will be covering the a very, very messed up uh, life and crimes of Donald Peewee Gaskins, who was a very bizarre and psychologically interesting serial killer it's, it's different yes um and he was a crime in his crimes in rural south carolina in the late 1960s and early 70s Shocker. genevieve there's a lot of problems with your home state there really is and i also am writing uh about this case because my grandparents <laughs> told me about the existence of this man and I remember being a child and hearing them talk about peewee Gaskins mm -hmm. and just kind of chuckling because I yeah. you hear the name peewee and it just sounds like you know weird and childishly gross yeah but holy fucking shit um this individual was messed up and the stories surrounding him and his crimes are bizarre. Um, there's, he was a like arsonist for hire at one point, a murderist for hire. He really was like, yeah, he um, dabbled in it all: uh, rape, cannibalism, serial killing. So if that's <laughs> your kind of thing, so if that's your vibe, <laughs> we'll be coming at we'll you with your pat. And he's not really covered on a lot of. I've only Major... heard his case once, and that was a Paranormal Chicks Paranormal podcast. Chicks, yes. That's the only, like, Paranormal I haven't seen Chicks. him on documentaries. I haven't yeah. seen him on any episodes of, like, crime mm -hmm. shows that I've watched. They're nowhere. Yeah, Paranormal Chicks did a really good episode on him, Don and Carrie. You guys are awesome. I love you. Yes. Um, I just kicked the microphone again. Gosh, dang it. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <laughs> Well, with yeah. that, we're going to leave y'all. Uh, follow us on Instagram, TikTok. Uh, what's the other thing? Uh, we are not on Twitter. No, we will not be. Or I won't be. No. I'm um, not on TikTok. Genevieve's on TikTok. Just yeah. As camping is canceled. Mm -hmm. um, and if you feel so inclined to support us in our work, mm -hmm. please feel free to subscribe at Patreon at camping is canceled. Mm -hmm. And... We're going to keep asking. Please email or DM us some very interesting personal stories. Yes. Creepy, spooky, paranormal, true crime, mm -hmm. juicy, delicious. Embarrassing. Yes. Yep. Anything. Because we would love to add them to our Friday Night Frights segment. Um, and did we decide what we were doing? Oh, yes, we did decide what we were doing next for the Friday Night Fright segment. It is a word that we will not be saying Ew. out loud because we are not interested in fucking around and finding out, but we will accredit... No, because your ass has to drive <laughs> back home on the dark roads past the <laughs> Indian burial grounds. Uh, yes, I also disassociate when I have to do that, but 
another podcast that we love, Morbid, uh, came up with the term flesh pedestrian, and that is the yep. subject um, we will be talking about in our next Friday Night Frights installment. So yeah, well, that's about all we have today. <laughs> Go <laughs> tell a child to tell a stranger to fuck off. Yep. Yep. Until next time, lights out, campers. Bye.